Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, it's my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're pretty good friends. In fact, we're such good friends that we like to let each other handle the floor as it is so that they can promote their their stuff. So, Ben, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your latest work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. And we do so much sharing. Ben has essentially non-verbally handed the floor back to me, right, Ben? I can neither confirm nor deny my non-verbal <laughs> actions. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, Nouveau Magazine, and in the October issue of Car and Driver. So be sure to pick that up and read my name and go, wow, I listened to this guy. Um, <laughs> so, Ben, we've got uh, a bunch of car news stories to talk to you about this week. We're we're kind of in between some press cars, so um, you, we'll get back into, like, full reviews kind of next week. We've got some pretty good stuff to talk about next week. Yeah, honestly, but before we, honestly yeah. what what the, what I want to talk about this week is something I'm very excited. It's a topic to rev- that, that we're revisiting um, that I it's been in the back of my mind for months now. Sammy, and that's the Kia Boys with a Z. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, <laughs> there is a there's a TikTok trend. I can't believe I just said that. Yes. Where people have been stealing Kia and Hyundai vehicles because it's so easy to do so. I think what you just need a, a USB cable and a pen or something. As far as I understand, yeah, you just can like for for. I'm going to get this right. Let me get this right. Give me a second, Ben. Because... So, yeah. So it's called the, it's like it's on TikTok. It's called the Hyundai Challenge. And, and basically, uh, younger folk have been going out and filming themselves stealing cars within seconds using this super easy technique. And it, it became a whole thing fueling itself. And as a result, like I, I checked out some statistics. And if you if you go into like no, local news reports um for various cities in the city of milwaukee for example this year and last year 66 percent of all stolen vehicles were kia or hyundai and apparently an average of six hyundais a day are stolen in milwaukee Goodness. and milwaukee, just to be clear here you just it's any of these vehicles with a with a keyhole like a physical key slot people just break into these cars remove the ceiling column and use a usb cable to <laughs> unlock the the and it's not like I don't know. I don't know how to describe this. It's not like the USB cable is attached to your computer or something. Yeah, it's I not like you have just... to order a special cable from Amazon to steal a Kia. It's like legitimately any any USB cable will do. That's wild. So yeah, so six a day, and and, and I'm using Milwaukee as an example because it's kind of like a, a mid sized city, like an average sized city. It's not like Chicago or New York where there's tons and tons of of car theft and tons and tons of Hyundai's. It's like, no, this is just a normal-sized city where everyone's Hyundai or Kia is being stolen. So the reason I'm talking about the Kia boys again, which is what they call themselves online, which is just so fantastic, uh, is because Hyundai has come up with a solution that is supposed to stop this wave of TikTok-fueled theft. But the problem is it costs $170, and there's an installation fee that could cost up to $500 depending on the vehicle. Hold on, hold on. They have a vehicle that is vulnerable to threat to theft. I mean, beyond vulnerable. If you own, <laughs> if you have a charging cable for any device, you can steal their car. <laughs> and their fix is for you to pay 
$170 or up to 500 extra for installation. What is it? Just a club? Why can't we just get a club? Why can't we just get the old steering lock ginormous thing? Okay, it's, it's funny you isn't should that mention that. Isn't that cheaper than a 500? Isn't that cheaper than 500? Kia is offering free steering wheel locks. <laughs> <laughs> there, That's their solution. So Hyundai has this kit. Kia has the steering wheel locks. Both companies have apparently approached police departments and distributed steering wheel locks so they can give them for free in the community. Now, I'm assuming if you're interacting with a police officer, it's because someone's already <laughs> stolen your Hyundai or Kia. So and I'm not so you, sure. As a consolation here, it's a steering wheel lock here's, for your next Kia here's a, or Hyundai. Here's a reminder of what you should have done now that you're walking. That's kind of the message I think they're saying. Um, oh, dear. They're also apparently Hyundai has a sensor kit. That they're gonna that's available that you can install in your car that's supposed to keep thieves from gaining access to the car itself. That so, sounds kind of vague. What does that mean? A yeah, it's kit? a little it's a little <laughs> odd. Uh, it, uh, the 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 theft ring started in the Midwest. I, it's not even a ring. It's not like they're doing anything with the car. They're it's just, a Kia. It's a TikTok trend. They're just stealing it for the thrill of it, really. So it started in the Midwest, but it's really spread across the country. So Sammy, if you're a giant car company. How yeah. is this not the worst PR in the world? Why are you not making this a free recall? I would imagine I'd try to keep this as quiet as possible or try to co-opt the Kia Boys hashtag on TikTok for a whole other reason. There's no way you can silence the Kia Boys. You're not, <laughs> you're not sweeping the Kia Boys under the under the rug. I, I don't think Hyundai's going to be able to do it. That's it, wild to me. It's, first of all, you're right. It should be free. It should be a little bit more thorough than whatever a vague sensor kit might be. It's from a company called CompuStar, like a third-party company. Okay. Um, on top of this, Kia owners have filed 15 different lawsuits against Hyundai and Kia in 14 different states, asking yeah. for damages and a recall. Because yeah, that's uh, sorry, that's wild. Uh, apparently, neither company started installing engine immobilizers as standard equipment until November hmm. of last year. Yeah, this is, and this feels like a standard equipment that you get in most cars. Yeah, the immobilizer. It's, it's a pretty common feature. Um, you know what? I, I looked into this in Canada. From what I understand, almost every car comes with this feature. So these aren't being stolen here. No. Um, so it's in different market. You get a different, in different markets, you get a different, um, kind of security setup. I'm looking at a couple of other markets. So in Charlotte, North Carolina, there's been a 346% increase in thefts of both brands. <laughs> um, St. Petersburg, Florida, more than 40% of all car thefts are Kia and Hyundai. And it's it's any 2011 to 2011 to 2021 Kia vehicle and 2015 to 2021 Hyundai with the standard key ignitions that are missing the immobilizer. And since the immobilizer only came in last year, that's essentially the vast majority of those. Vehicles. 2011, 2011, Ben. Yeah. yeah. These cars have been like these cars have been so easy to steal since then, and only now has it become thanks to well, thanks to social media, these car this vulnerability has been found out. So. If you are listening and you want one of these steering wheel locks or for free yeah. or a kit, you can call Hyundai's Consumer Assistance. So my sister and my mom both have a Hyundai. They have Santa mm -hmm. Fe's and they fall under these um, under these year model years. So I think I think they might need to start keeping an eye out for the Kia boys because I think they're coming yeah. for them. It's it's definitely possible. That's for sure. Um, there's so much more to talk about this week. There's all sorts of crazy news. Oh, what, one Did more you... thing. One more thing, yes. Sammy. Sorry to interrupt you. I just found this. So, you know, you were talking about immobilizers being pretty much standard equipment. Yeah. So 96% of all other brands together, their vehicles have standard immobilizers. 
Only so is, only twenty six percent of twenty fifteen and up Hyundai and Kias have it. This is a cost saving me- measure, you think? Like I would think a mobilizer. So. I, it must wild. be tied into the fact that uh, maybe it was more expensive to install if they didn't have push button ignition, so they just yeah. didn't bother to do it. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. They didn't count on the fact that years later, a social a Chinese <laughs> social media company would fuel a wave of Kia boys terror that would essentially. Um, bring Kia and Hyundai to its knees. <laughs> That's wild. I think they should be doing a little bit more. I think they should be offering perch like like upgrade like if your car gets stolen because of this vulnerability, you should get a free Kia. I hear what you're you saying. You should get you should get I mean, we all know they have a bajillion Kia Stingers that nobody wants, but they should get a free, free Kia Stinger for free sure. Free Kia right? Stinger is a policy I would get behind regardless of the strings that are attached to it. <laughs> exactly. I think that's fair. I'm not ashamed to say that. Me too. Um, all right. There's another interesting story that I think um, would be on on Hyundai's radar here. There's a story on the drive about a California cop that ticketed a stock Hyundai Elantra N for its exhaust note. Yeah. So, uh, listener, uh, one of our longtime listeners, Blake, sent this in to us as well. And he sent me – it was on Car Buzz. It, it was – not only did they ticket this person, they deregistered the vehicle, Sammy. That is crazy to me. And from what I understand, they had to take their car um, to get inspected yeah. in order for them to get it registered again. So it and passed they, the smog test and failed the noise test. And what's even more interesting is that the inspector asked the owner specifically which drive mode he used, which would be the loudest. He said that uh, he used the sport mode and the noise test was run in that, in that sport mode where the vehicle rate you know, averaged 98 decibels in sport mode and hit peaks of 102 decibels with pops from the exhaust. First now, of all, want, that, is, that is fairly loud. Let I me think. put that into perspective. So at there's a bunch of – racetracks often have noise limits because yes. they're, they have surrounding communities, you know, people trying to keep the peace between the people who live near the track and the people who use the track for fun. So Lime Rock, Connecticut, their on-track limit is 86 dB. 86. L- Laguna yeah. Seca is 91 and yeah. the one near nearest me, Montremblant, which is a former former F1 track, it's 92 decibels. So, um, oh, yes, go so, ahead. Well, you were saying that this is 98 and it could go up over 100. Yeah. A Porsche Cayman GT4 is 95. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how loud this is. A GT3 but, can go over 102 at full throttle. But the writers of this um, of this article point out that the the test might not have been done properly. Yes, because it has to be done using a drive mode that stays on when you cycle the ignition, I believe is the rule. Right. So the the sport mode does not, it, it reverts back to, the launcher end reverts back to normal every time you turn on and off. But the, the really crazy thing that I want to talk, there, there's, there's, there's two points I want to make about this story. The first is deregistering a car seems very extreme. It seems like a very extreme solution. Like you have a loud car and now you're not allowed to legally drive it on the highway. Um, I think that the dealer or something told him he should put a temporary silencer on the muffler to just try and get past the test. But that doesn't really solve the problem. The, the other the other issue about this for me, though, pretty much every car on the market right now can go past the speed limit, right? Yeah. So the speed limit is, is, is a law, much like the sound law. You can drive a Hyundai Elantra such that – an Elantra N – such that it doesn't go as loud as – 
uh, as it does in sport mode. You can still drive yeah. it normally, right? Just like yeah. you can drive a car below the speed limit. But when you drive the car over the speed limit and you get a ticket, they don't deregister your car. For being too fast. For being no. too fast. So I don't understand the mentality that went into this here. It just feels like a bureaucratic quagmire. Yeah, for real. It sounds like bureaucracy at, at its worst. It's uh, That's really unfortunate. And like... Again, another moment where Hyundai should probably step in and help out their their owners rather than, you know, shrug their shoulders and be like, here's a, an opportunity for you to spend some more money on our car. Apparently, the owner, the owner is going through a buyback process through Hyundai because he can't legally register his vehicle in factory condition. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. They, they should, you know, they have to support their product. It reminds me of when that... Um, 86, the GR86 had that uh, warranty issue. Um, the engine kind of like had an issue after a track day, and they said, we're not going to stand by our product after that. Um, yeah, we, you were, were just, you were we were just talking it. about that. And, you know, now for Hyundai, you, we're seeing other automakers kind of like step back from these these solutions that they themselves have, have cost. You know what I mean? The other thing about noise, reg- the, about noise is that how it's measured is often... Um, plays a large role in the rating that you're going to get. So at the racetracks that I go to, there's two ways where it's measured. Oftentimes what happens is there's someone who's hiding on the track somewhere. And when I say, (laughs) no, I love the hiding. Well, they have to hide because if you know where they are, all you have to do is let off the throttle. Yeah. Right. I I love the hiding. So they hide somewhere on the track where cars are going to be at full. I also just love the, I I think that's like the intern's job, right? It's like like a sound hunter, right? Like, Yeah, you got get out there and, a khaki and jacket and a pith helmet and you're out there with your microphone. Anyway, it, sound is always de- decibels. It's always at a certain distance from the source um, because obviously if you're right beside something, it can be louder. If you're in a canyon, it's going to be louder. If you're uh, under a bridge, if you're in a wide open space with no reflections, it'll change the sound. Yeah. So what happens is you're on the track, they measure it, they call you and you get black flagged and then you'll get measured from a certain distance of the vehicle in the pits. At a certain RPM. So that's how it works. So I have to wonder in this situation, if it's being tested, is this being done in a garage? How did the officer test it? Like, did they have a decibel meter with them? And if they did, how, how was it deployed? You know, there's so many variables when it comes to sound, any type of, any type of energy that dissipates over distance or which can be reflected is going to, um, the setup for the testing is going to be so important. I'm, I really hope that this has a positive, um, Vibe check at the end of the story because oh, yeah, I'm sure this this really has a pos- the whole thing all the way through feels positive vibes to me. I no, I hope that it <laughs> does. I hope it th- in the long run this gets fixed. I feel awful for the owner to have gone through this much process for a stock vehicle. If the and if in the end run he was you know being disingen- like not genuine about whether or not it was stock or if it had straight pipes or whatever it might be, okay, fine. But if this is the car straight from the factory, this is how loud the sport mode is. And he tried to accommodate, you know, the 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 process of getting back in uh, or getting his his car registered again and failed it. That has a lot more to do than on Hyundai than it does anything else. And they know the rule. You know, I, I'll, there's something else I wanted to mention. A uh, friend of the show and fellow automotive journalist Bradley Iger, he has been pulled over as recently as this summer. He has a, a Hellcat, a Challenger yeah. Hellcat, and he was pulled over for having a, an exhaust that was too loud. And they tried to cite him, and he's his, his exhaust is completely stock. 
and he had to argue with the officer on the side of the road and he eventually got away with not getting a ticket. I mean, I say got away with, he didn't do anything wrong, right? Yeah. He's also driving a stock car. So this has me wondering if there's not some kind of edict that's come down from LAPD saying, hey, we need to crack down on loud cars because people in Beverly Hills don't like it or, you know, some kind of something yeah. of that nature. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you, I was going to curse and I didn't curse. That's 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 why I was pausing. <laughs> I, I will be clear that I have been here. I, I live right right next to a highway and I hear a lot of uh, cars and you can definitely tell the modified cars, the, the popping and, and burbling um, and how loud they can be. It is annoying for sure. But stock cars don't have this problem. Like, They're just on their way to race wars, Sammy. Sure. Yes. Um, another story I want to talk to you about is the Chevrolet Corvette. If 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 you want to hear a fun story, Ben and I were our our last press trips before COVID was for the Chevrolet Corvette. We went together and we had a great time. We even went ended up going to like a a, a Vegas. What was the name of the team? Golden Knights game. Yeah, that was a good. That was fun. And good times. um. I think we that's the last to... time I was on an airplane. <laughs> yes, I think we had a very similar t- um, reaction to the 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 at the time new C8 Corvette Corvette, which was this is a very good starting point for the for the platform for the car, but it seems like the platform is not it is just made for more power and more performance. Well, Ben, that day is here. The Corvette Z06 and all of the reviews associated with the Z06 have come out, and people are calling this a world beating supercar like a real supercar not whatever the the normal c8 was so there's a how, couple, do you, how does that make you feel there's a couple of things about this car that i think are interesting um the engine it's it's a 5.5 liter v8 is that correct yeah 5.5 liter flat plane v8 which is making 670 horsepower and 460 pound feet of torque sorry a 5.5 liter nationally aspirated v8 is making 670 horsepower ben and uh, that engine, so th- there's a lot of talk in the development. All the articles I've seen about the the engine specifically have talked about how there's so much more vibration in the flat plane crank that they've had to do a lot of lightning inside the motor to reduce the, un- the, the rotating mass and to try and keep those vibrations from either causing a failure in the motor or being transmitted into the cabin. The reason I bring this up is because the, the, there's another flat flat plane crank v8 out there that was pretty popular when it first came out and that's the ford gt350 in the the, the mustang and that motor the five point it was called the voodoo motor the 5.2 in liter. the gt350 right yes yes um it had a pretty bad reliability history i i knew people mm-hmm. who had two or three motors put in in the in the in the course of a year year and a half and i have to hope that this isn't uh like a, that it's not because of the design and that it was just an, a Ford thing and it's not just like maybe flat, flat plane cranks are not the best idea for street use and track use unless you have like a, a really intensive maintenance budget to go with it like a racing team would. Right. Um, beyond – well, first of all, isn't this engine kind of like derived from a racing team? Didn't you do some um, internet research on this? So Cadillac has, a, has an IMSA program in the DPI uh, prototype program. Prototype class, sorry. Yeah. Where they've been fielding a 5.5 liter engine. It's also naturally aspirated. Uh, but the I'm not sure if that is specifically related to the Cadillac, to, to the Corvette one. Um, it was developed by a company called ECR Engines, I believe. Or at the very least, they did the original LT1 that Cadillac was racing with. It, mm-hmm. in, the, in the IMSA spec, because of 
I mean, they, they have restrictions on power. So it's 600 horsepower. I think it's an intake restriction to, to keep it down there. So the streetcar is actually more powerful than the track car. Wow. But it wouldn't surprise me if this is this is engine has been around since 2018. And okay. DPI as a, I believe, um, as a class is no longer... Cadillac is switching to a there's like a hybrid that's coming yeah. in for next year. DPH or something like that. Yeah, LMPH. and it sounds amazing. LMPH. But in any case, um, th- this is the last year for it. Uh, the last race was this weekend in in Atlanta. So a two or three year development program. I mean, Cadillac has done not necessarily Cadillac, but GM has done a lot of engine development in its racing programs in the past, like with the C6R and the C7R. So it's it's entirely possible they are related. Um. The early response seems really positive to this thing, um, where I think the regular C8 was really capable on the road. Um, the Z06 seems like, uh, or the Z06 seems very capable on the street. This is the this is the supercar that uh, lives up to that platform or that that uh, configuration. For Mid-end me, I just I just didn't find the C8 as engaging as the C7. I think because it was just so neutral mm-hmm. um, in terms of its handling. And it lacks the manual transmission. And for me, driving on a racetrack is about the experience. It's not about the best lap times because I'm not a professional racing driver and no one cares what my lap times are. So... And I will admit that I'm not sure I had a blast on the track with this because, as you mentioned, it's very neutral. Um, and it wasn't – it it didn't – it wasn't um, – it wasn't difficult to make it kind of upset. But you – it did everything for you kind of thing, Right. Yeah, it was... Uh, and not in the same way like a GTR does. I don't know. In any case. In any case. Not my cup <laughs> of tea. It's not a vehicle that I often think about. I think I see them out on the road quite a bit. And, you know, they attract a lot of attention. They do look exotic and, and whatnot. But it's not... I, I I never wanted one. You know what I mean? Okay. I've never really been a Corvette guy. Although That's changing. That's I, changing. I know that's changing. No, I mean, I like the C7 a lot. I think the C7 is a really rewarding car to drive quickly. But I can see you in a C4. Yeah, maybe. But a that's really just, tastefully modified C4. But that's more like, that's part of my, what's what's the word, contrarian, like, uh, <laughs> tendencies. Because no one modifies C4s. The, no, one, no one really cares. They're like the redheaded stepchildren. I mean, even even more so than the C3, like the, the later disco vets. Yes. I mean, those were previously the ones that were just downtrodden. No one wanted them. But I think they're old enough now. And, like, they represent an era that people look back on. With nostalgia more so than the uh, the C4, which was just kind of like, I guess, plasticky and weird inside. And I I I think that there's potential to make like you know like there's there's the static vet on YouTube, which I anyone mm-hmm. out there listening who hasn't seen the static vet, check out that video. It's very cool. It's got like a whole retro wave synth wave retro vibe wave. to it. I think it's so cool for yeah. sure. Um, it, lo- it reminds me of like cyberpunk kind of but speaking of this i was at i was at the carlisle swap meet in pennsylvania this past weekend with my dad and uh, we drove down it was like a 10-hour drive and uh, we got rained out only we got rained out on the second day but the first day we were going through the car corral and there were these two cars side by side and one was an 87 irox z and it was in decent shape um it was an automatic which means it was probably a 350 i can't visually tell a 350 and a 305 apart so i didn't know what i was looking for i don't think it's actually possible to do that uh (laughs) if anyone listeners out there do know how to do that by looking at the motor let me know uh write in and let us know but um uh, there was that that was 4700 bucks and then parked beside it was like a 78 c3 with an ls1 swap and a six speed 
And it was the same owner selling them both. And that was like 23000 So okay. it was interesting to see, like, for me, I would probably still take the Camaro because I'm really into the third gens these days and I don't know why. But uh, I bet you that Corvette is a ton of fun with that motor. I bet. I, I think you're, you're onto something there. Um, but speaking of naturally aspirated um, motors, mid-engine motors, Audi has shown up with its own mid-engined uh, supercar, the R8 coupe has returned with the v10 gt r wheel uh, rear wheel drive version it has 612 horsepower which is somehow less than the v8 in the in the corvette now let's talk about the r8 and the r8 gt and not to mention this rear wheel drive version of the car i thought i thought we were done with the r8 yeah i thought every year year it feels like audi's threatening to like remove the r8 forever and every year I'm like, okay, that makes sense. It's been on sale a long time. And then a year later, they do it again. <laughs> it's like, oh, they still we still have some R8s to sell. I like the R8 a lot, uh, mm-hmm. surprisingly. Um, it's I say surprisingly because you wouldn't think after driving something like an Audi TT, which is fun to look at, but not necessarily dyna- dynamically rewarding, to use a phrase I was just talking yeah. about, the C8. The R8 is the exact opposite of that. It is a lot of fun to drive. It is comfortable. It looks great. And you can cover very long distances with extreme comfort. And I, and I, I love how you use extreme comfort, like it's Mountain Dew comfort or something. Yeah. Extreme code red comfort in the Audi R8. Yes. Now, I've driven the rear-wheel drive version of, of this um, R8, and I think it's actually really, um, really good. Really, really, really good. Um, it feels alive in the ways that um, I think the all-wheel drive bottle doesn't. It feels pretty good on the track. This model with 600 horsepower sounds crazy. That sounds brilliant. Um, and I'm 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 a little sad to hear that we might not have the R8, um, the V10 R8 anymore going going forward. So it's always fun every year when when Audi says, "Well, we'll just do one more until until we figure out its succession." Um, but you mentioned a car that I think is worth bringing up, the TT and the upcoming or the the high performance TTRS. Audi has decided to commemorate 25 years of the TT. It remembered the anniversary of the of the TT, which came out back in 1997 or eight or something. Um, and they've made a something known as a TTRS iconic edition. So that's neat. But is it strange that when we think about the TT, we we don't see it so often as being a a high performance enthusiast model no i i totally i'm on the other side of this with you i think i'm not talking about necessarily i i necessarily high performance enthusiast model but i think yeah the tt is a super important 90s vehicle especially Talk to me for, about this especially for audi because if you think about audi in the 90s they were pivoting from being kind of just a bland um volkswagen equivalent to actually making waves in the luxury segment in America. And mm-hmm. look at all the cars, the brands at the same time as Audi was doing this that failed to do that. Like Acura never really made that leap. Lexus was able to do it, but Infinity wasn't able to do it, right? So you have these three very strong Japanese luxury companies that, that you know, they, they gave it their best, but they never really became significant. Only one of those three. And yet, Audi, which had no real history of being an upscale brand, managed in the space of 10 years to put themselves there. And I think vehicle focusing on design and having people like Jay Mays, who designed a a lot of the TT, um, at least the TT prototype that was Mm -hmm. that went on display in the mid 90s. I think it went into production like 97, 98. That helped put them on the map. 
And uh, I, the, the special car for Acura, the NSX, it was also very cool, but it was super expensive, right? Like you didn't see very many of them because of that. But the TT was affordable enough that you would see them out on the road, and that created a positive association with Audi. Well, let's, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But I, first of all, I don't want to suggest that the TT did not require, did not, did not need the the sort of legacy or or, or its iconic iconic nature kind of like I know you, I know I, you hate the TT. I don't hate the TT. I do think that it was, it looks so close to being a performance vehicle in so many different trims, and then falls a tiny bit short with with a weird engine placement or a platform kind of. But that's like the Z3 too. If you that same era, right? Mm-hmm. You you got like the Z3, the SLK, and the TT, and they all be they they were all convertibles or yeah. coupes. Although the Mercedes, I believe. Never was never available as a coupe at that time. So, um, and the, the BMW Z3 coupe is very rare. In any mm-hmm. case, though, the Z3 was not really that great to drive as a race car. Like, it was fun to drive on a, on a two-lane road, mm-hmm. but if you push it too hard, they kind of really... Whereas the TT was a bit compromised by the fact that it was a golf platform with the engine placement, as you mentioned, is very far forward. Weight balance isn't great. Front wheel drive bias, et cetera, et cetera. The Z3 was like they took the suspension, the rear suspension from an E30, which was a generation ago's three series. Yeah. And kind of stapled it all together underneath. And they were like, here's your sports car. (laughs) And you could feel that when you drove it. Now the TTRS Iconic Edition has um, a few like little tweaks and nods here to the to the original model. It's it's offered an exclusive uh, Nardo gray, which looks pretty sharp. It has um, an aerodynamic package, a, front, a new you know front end and rear end, a carbon fiber wing. It has uh, 400 horsepower from a 2.5 liter turbo five. Once again, we got to talk about this engine that's placed a little bit further forward than you know most performance cars would have it. But that's this is the legacy built on the TT, and they're still following through on it. You know, it, I, I think, you know, if you you can't give yourself a nickname, Sammy, right? Like a nickname is something that other people have to give you, right? Right. So can you really especially call on yourself, the court, especially on the hard on the hardwood or or the in in a sports setting, you okay. have to earn your nickname. Yeah. So can you really call yourself iconic and get away you, with it? No, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. But right. I just want to ask. But I think enough people now reaching its 25th anniversary, I think enough people have looked back at the TT and said exactly what you did, which is, hey, this car came out and kind of reversed the fortune or or enhanced the f- the future for Audi and allowed them to to go in a new direction than they were going in, in the past. So a couple of months ago, I actually wrote a feature for um, Inside Hook about the TT. Uh, kind of discussing whether it was a modern classic or whether it was a maintenance nightmare that you should avoid at all costs. Yeah. It's honestly both. It is both. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to link to that in the show notes if you want to check out the article and just kind of do a deeper dive into where the TT comes from. Because it has an interesting backstory, that's for sure. And there's, what, three generations of TT? Three or four. Yeah. The, the, the original concept debuted in 95, and then two years later it was on the road. Okay. Um, let's keep going with all the other um, debut news that has gone on recently. Have you heard about this? This is the 2023 BMW XM SUV. Yeah, so it's it's. M- it's not a radio. It's not a radio channel. <laughs> I know. The first the thing X- I think of when I hear XM, I guess BMW has decided that M needs a flagship, and that flagship means like Spanish Galleon, aka the heaviest, largest vehicle you could find. That seems to be the guiding force 
behind the XM. It looks a lot like the I the IX. Is that what that was? That I yeah. Do? Yeah. The I I, I was going to say IM, which is not correct. Um, and there's an M kind of version of the IX too, which is an all electric vehicle. The XM is not all electric. It's a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. So I have no issue with how this looks. Um, wow. We're in a world now where flagships are SUVs, and that's just how it is. My my biggest problem with something like the XM is you take a brand like M, which is known for you know sporty driving, and you give it a large, heavy kind of it can't. There's no way it handles as well as say like an M2 or an M3, right? No. So you you make it even heavier by putting in this hybrid system. You get a whole bunch of power that will wow you in a straight line, and I guess that's kind of it. Am I off base, Sammy? No, I think you're onto something. And I also am looking at this. Um, it used to say 4.4 twin tur- 4.4 liter twin turbo V8, and then a 30 kilowatt hour battery to make 644 horsepower and 509 pound. 590 pound feet of torque. That's a 4.1 second sprint from zero to 60 and a top speed of 168. That actually doesn't sound all too BMW M-ish to me, right? I think you can get 612 horsepower in the M5 competition from that same engine without the electric motor. Yeah, and I think you can you can get a decent amount of performance and, and top speed in, say, an X7, right? Which this looks a lot like an X7 from some angles. So you're now, saying that maybe... This is just the 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 electric motor might just be here as a form of greenwashing. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one hundred percent it. That's and really to, disappointing. To give people now this version costs one hundred sixty thousand dollars. There's also you're gonna love this. There's an even more powerful version of this in case for whatever reason M didn't mean what you thought it meant. There is the XM Label Red, which is a new name that I've yet to hear used in, in BMW history. Yo, Have you Sammy, heard of a we heard label you like red? flagships, so we put a flagship on your flagship. <laughs> yeah. So we could charge you $200,000. <laughs> so this version has an extra 100 horsepower, so 735 horsepower, 725 pound-feet of torque, which is way too many. So um, the, I guess we know now why the regular one doesn't have impressive statistics. So weird. So label label red is just the first in a series of limited label versions of the XM. So there's the, be my head label is spinning. purple, my, label green. Yeah. And so let's talk about label for a minute because as far as I remember, there's another automaker that uses the label nomenclature for their ultra luxurious models, and that's Lincoln. And not only that, they get it grammatically correct, where they call them <laughs> yeah. black label instead of label black. So are we gonna even? Is are we not gonna discuss that? <laughs> no, we we definitely should. Now, I always think it's funny when Germans crib things from the from the auto from the American automakers. That's very rare to me, but uh, I think they also really don't like it when you call them out for that, right? Yeah, it's not their thing. It's I the end am. Of the I am not in love with this new direction of M. We've been criticizing the direction of M for maybe the past five, six years and saying they're making bigger um, vehicles that prioritize speed, like speed and power over everything else, over engagement and handling. And uh, they get heavier and bigger every single time. Maybe this should have been. And this is the biggest, heaviest (laughs) M vehicle you can have. Maybe this should have been an Alpina. You know, I mean, Alpina is currently... They were purchased this year or last year by BMW. They're yes. no longer independent, but they're operating as an independent until I think 2025. That is so, a really good suggestion. I think you you have a really strong argument with that. I wonder if maybe the reason it wasn't an Alpina is because they're waiting for Alpina to be fully in-house. That makes sense. 
Good call with that. I think uh, you've made us all think and and contemplate what that future will be like. Um, kind of wrapping things up this week, there is a vehicle that I drove in the last little while, and we didn't talk about it on the show because I was really wishy-washy about it, Sammy. And you uh, wishy-washy? Hard to believe. <laughs> the, the 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 automobile in question is the 2022 Ford Explorer Hybrid. Um, oh, yeah. I drove this okay. by accident. <laughs> I was not expecting to drive it. I, I had a AMG GT53 planned. And then there was a misfire situation and the vehicle had to go back to the uh, the dealer to get that fixed. In the meantime, I spent about a week in the Explorer Hybrid. Now, I don't dislike the Explorer. I think it's pretty comfy. It's got decent inside space and there's a lot of different versions of it. The Hybrid is not one of the better ones, I don't think. First of all, I need, I, I really do appreciate the imagery of accidentally driving a escape hybrid i think that's one of the funniest things i can ever imagine you just being like well here i go oh i'm in a car now oh it's i went wrong you car. never black out and wake up driving a car you didn't you didn't you know realize you, didn't you had the key. To? you didn't realize you had those keys in your pocket yeah no it doesn't happen to me as sometimes often the kia boys and i go out and yeah. uh you can't find a kia so you end up with an explorer hybrid it's pretty simple there you go now what is the what, what do you mean you're you're wishy-washy you didn't really love it you didn't think it's the best version of it now you've driven no. the gas-powered versions of these of the escape if i remember correctly you've the driven explorer, yeah so oh, sorry the explorer you've driven an st yeah the the st and um i think there's also a turbo 4 version if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken the the ST, I remember it being very quick, but just not great to drive, which isn't surprising because, you know, it's, an, it's a giant SUV, and that's fine. So when you take away the positive element of that vehicle of it being quick, what are you left with? The, the What I'm left with is a hybrid system that is way too clunky um, compared to other things that Ford has been able to accomplish in the electrified space. So it's, it's a V6, 3.3 liters, single electric motor. You get 322 pound-feet of torque and 318 horsepower. So that's well, that actually kind of, doesn't sound too bad. It pushes it above the the base EcoBoost Explorer, but it's 500 pounds heavier. So cool. it kind of balances things out in a straight line. But what doesn't balance out is you can only get the hybrid in limited or platinum editions. So that means your base price is 52 grand. Wow. So for 52 grand, it, it should be pretty smooth. It should be pretty nice inside. Unfortunately. And I don't know how much of this is the hybrid system and how much of this is Ford's 10-speed automatic transmission, which is notoriously not smooth. But the car had a lot of trouble moving back and forth between electrified and gas or combining the two together. It, it was not smooth. It felt um, hesitant at times. I was always aware of what the transmission was doing. It just kind of felt all around shaky. And I, I was not impressed by that. Now, really quickly... This is not a plug-in hybrid, right? No, they they it is not a plug-in hybrid. In this space, there's pretty much the Explorer hybrid, there's a Highlander hybrid, and then there's a Sorento, and the Sorento offers a plug-in version as well. And the Santa Fe, um, which Santa, is Santa related. Fe is, I think, not as big as the Explorer. I would I would say the Explorer is okay. kind of more uh, Palisade-sized. Okay, and um, that's really unfortunate. I mean, it makes sense while you've been holding off on on talking about this if it just didn't make you feel like you wanted to talk about it, it seems like a yeah. really bland vehicle a boring car that's easily forgettable i was disappointed uh it's it's rated at 26 miles per gallon combined which is not great that, that doesn't even sound that good no it's only two miles per gallon better than the ecoboost four-cylinder i feel like if they had used a four-cylinder instead of a six they might have been able to 
get more fuel at least get one thing right with this vehicle yeah, which would be fuel efficiency especially right? since the highlander hybrid is like 35 miles per gallon combined and that's actually achievable if not you can i think you can even get better than than that in the in the highlander hybrid so my real question is who is this vehicle for it's really tough to understand something else i found out recently is i was doing a story for another client on fleet vehicles if you buy a ford interceptor suv or crossover whatever they call it the it's basically an explorer right that's yeah. updated to police spec it starts out with the hybrid system as standard equipment so i'm assuming that's a fuel savings thing for ford or for police departments but it's really not like in the real yeah. world they're not going to be saving that much money that's bizarre well, who is this person for you know what we, we ask this question a lot because um there are a lot of vehicles that seem like they're not competitive with the rest of their their class and this seems exactly like that yeah this is for somebody who's upgrading their lease or they have a really good relationship with their Ford dealer, or they just don't want to go to another automaker like Toyota um, or Kia with all their stolen vehicles. You know, <laughs> you know, the interior too, it's like, it's nice enough. It's okay. But you compare it to like Telluride, Palisade, all that stuff, even the new Grand Cherokee, mm-hmm. uh, the Grand Cherokee L, which is a three row. And it's just not as nice. It's like, it's, it's a really mid pack vehicle um, that I think, I don't know if they're just filling a white space because they need, they need a hybrid, but that's kind of how it feels. It sounds like it. And um, I'm really upset with this with this reaction to the Ford Explorer. To me, the Ford Explorer, for being such a popular vehicle, has the opportunity to make really important changes and, and can really um, include some of the latest technology or, or features for Ford. They're going to put these features in the best car, I think. And yeah. they're not doing that. It's, it's not like Ford doesn't. It's not like Ford doesn't know how to make a good electrified vehicle, right? Like the, no. the Escape Hybrid is pretty decent and yep. the Mach-E is pretty good as well. So it's 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 disappointing. And, and again, calling back to my time, I, you know, this trip I did to Carlisle. So we took my dad's pickup. He has a 2019 F-150 and with a 5 liter and it has the 10 speed. And the 10 speed, it, it's constantly shifting and it's not very smooth. Um mm-hmm. He has a 2012 F-150 with the same engine and the six-speed, and it is much smoother to drive. And the fact that these vehicles are nearly a decade apart and, and a generation apart, and yet the older one offers a better driving experience, this 10-speed has not been a good um, development for Ford across the board. Have you felt that way only in the Explorer, or have you, do you feel that way in the Escape? The Escape has a 10-speed as well? I don't think the Escape has a 10 I think the 10-speed is only for longitudinally mounted yes, engines. Yes, I think you're right on that. Um, it was co-developed with GM. It's the same, ostensibly the same transmission. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And GM does it better. I think that, uh, like, I've had, I've driven the Escalade uh, with that engine, sorry, with that transmission, and I didn't notice as much um, the same type of jerkiness. So I don't know if it's a tuning thing for Ford or whatever it is. It's just they're not on the... They're not on the same level as their competition. And and Toyota has a 10-speed now, obviously a totally different one. And I was surprised by how much smoother the Tundra was compared to an F-150. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry, my mistake. It's an 8-speed, I believe, in the uh, in the, in the the Escape. Um, okay, I think that's our, our roundup here for this week. Ben, yeah. what, are we, what are we talking about next week? I don't know. what It's going to be a mystery, Sammy. What are you talking about? I'm going to be driving the new Huracan, Lamborghini Huracan. I believe it's called the Technica. I believe. Uh, I'll learn more about it tomorrow. Sammy is and... so fancy, he doesn't even know what Lamborghini he's driving tomorrow. <laughs> it's called the Technica. Think about, think about that for a Stop while. It. <laughs> it is called the Technica. I'll be driving it tomorrow. We'll be putting it on track at Thermal. And uh, I can't wait to report back to you about it.
Now, if you want to uh, subscribe and, and listen to all of our podcasts in order as they happen, it's very easy to do so. You can just head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and you can find a bunch of buttons on the top of the website to subscribe to the podcast, or you can just use your podcast uh, client and search for us, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Um, in that search bar, you'll find us for sure. And, and if, you, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it at automata, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form you fill it out you click enter or send and boom it ends up in our inbox or you can find us on social media sammy is on twitter he is at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing i am on instagram at hunting benjamin or you can email me the old-fashioned way benjamin at benjaminhunting.com we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear what you think of the show anything you want us to talk about in the future or any questions you have about cars that we might have talked about or will be talking about yeah don't hesitate to tell us what you want to listen to uh, or talk about, we'll we'll try to incorporate it. Don't worry. Um, we also want to give a special shout out to listener Jamie, who can uh, who sent us um, a little contribution on our Ko-Fi. That's K-O-F-I. Thank you very um, much, Jamie. Very generous. And we appreciate it. it. Helps us keep the lights on because uh, podcasting in the dark is is scary and spooky. It takes thick. Skin, I mean, I know man. it's October, but <laughs> it, it really is. So, anyway, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, bye, everybody.